Hey, I'm Will Lavise. He's Eric Claville. You're tuning into Lavise and Claville, where we give it to you straight, like it is, from a black male perspective. So let's get right to it. This show, I think one of my favorite shows, Successful While Black. Recently, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, one of the most storied and prominent basketball programs in the nation, announced his first black coach, which is former NBA star Hubert Davis and alum of uh, uh, North Carolina. Ironically, most people probably expected the news conference to be relatively routine, even though he's going to be the first black coach. And most people knew that that question was at some point in the press conference was going to come. But what wasn't so obvious is when Hubert Davis answered the question about being a black coach, and his answer included him saying that he was proud that his wife was white. Now, you know, being married to, to a white woman or a white woman, black man being married to a white woman or vice versa, it's nothing new, it's nothing unusual. What struck me and it struck a lot of people is why did he feel the need to say this? And it brought to me the mind of what it's like being successful uh, as a black person working in white environments and this sense of what we talk about in, in black literature, the, you know, the white, uh, a version of the white gaze where your, your thoughts and how you behave, you're always mindful of how, you know, maybe whites are thinking about it or trying to meet a white standard. And for many people on social media, people commented on this, people have written about it. I mean, I, like I said, I didn't understand where uh, Hubert was going with this. And it just brought to mind that the only you know, reason I can think of is that he was feeling that awkwardness of the moment. And he totally botched, you know, the question because he's thinking about, you know, how are, you know, my my employers, how's the white community going to view me in this slot? I mean, what, what do you think, uh, Eric? Yeah, I think, Will, this is a very uh, good topic for us to discuss, not just in this uh, context, but in every single context of African-American success and upper mobility. Successful while Black carries many, many burdens. I mean, we're going to look at several instances here uh, as we talk about this particular topic. Uh, you bring up Hubert Davis. Uh, we're going to look at the issue with Leo Terrell, Geraldo Rivera, and several others. You know, but I, I think, you know, I can't really get into the mind of Hubert Davis and why he said mm -hmm. what he said. Uh, like you said, there have been many social media uh, uh, tweets about it and responses. And, you know my take on social media. Uh, usually the the thoughts... What's wrong with social media? <laughs> well, well, again, first of all, I think is media is, is misplaced. Uh, I think it's social conversation uh, because what happens is when you socially uh, have a conversation with someone or socially converse, you're pretty much saying the first thing that comes to mind, which probably is not the best thing or always right. the best thing to come to mind. I believe that's what... Our, what we've deemed as social media actually does. But sometimes it's the real thing. It's what we really thought and what we really think, which is why yeah. uh, where the value, potential value comes in. But I, I feel you, a lot of times yeah. it's better to have clearly thought out what you think and also have all of the information. You know, so Absolutely. like in this case, actually see the press conference and see the, and understand the context. And, you know, I saw it, understood the context, and I was still like, you know, where, you know, where you know where you going with this because there are so many other ways you could have answered you know that question and also i think that people should understand 
that again, being in media, being a journalist, there are University of North Carolina has a media relations team and they help you and coach you with what to expect, how to answer, you know, being truthful to yourself. So I'm looking at all of this and knowing how these things happen behind the scenes. And I'm thinking Hubert had plenty of time to think about his answer to this question, to practice it, to, it, it wasn't like it was something, it was a gotcha type question. So I agree with you that we can't get into his, his mind and exactly where he was. And personally, I think he was trying to say something that was well-meaning. Absolutely. But again, that still also comes from, you know, not knowing the man at all. Absolutely. But I think that where it becomes relevant is because we as professionals do find ourselves often in these environments, predominantly white environments as black professionals and have to find ways to be able to navigate in a way that is still true to ourselves and true to why we are there in the first place, you know, is to perform mm -hmm. a function. And for me, I think that that's the most important thing is that you must first, you're there because of your expertise in that job and that role. He's obviously he's been an assistant coach. He's qualified to be in that role. He has Absolutely. no reason to feel like he is somehow some kind of uh, illegitimate hire. So his job is to do that job and to be great at that job and to not have to think in terms of who's watching over my shoulder and all that. Now, there is a responsibility because of the society that we live in, and there's a reality that people are looking over your shoulder and are, there is an extra weight being the first Black in a role that you don't want to mess up because of the possibility there'll be no more chances for other people. So that that's why that makes this very much, you know, relevant. Yeah. But but Will, I think it's a little different, especially in North Carolina basketball and sports, especially competitive sports and basketball and football, because you know, you are the first quote unquote black coach, but it's a it's a tradition that has been successful under black players. I mean, mm -hmm. look at the lineage that comes from North Carolina, Michael Jordan, Perkins. Uh, the list goes on and on, you know, and of course, down down the road, Tobacco Road at Duke and all of NC State and Wake Forest and all of the basketball teams in North Carolina. I mean, that's mm -hmm. primarily what they're known for when you come to to, to sports themselves. Right. And so with, 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 with his comment, I know that he was paying homage to his family, his wife. He did mention how he's glad his kids have best of both sides. And we live in an age of inclusiveness. And right now, I mean, as far as the, the color barrier and love, uh, that that really is not even an issue, you know, today. It's becoming less, I'll say, become less and less and less. Right, it's less of an issue. I mean, it's still right. an issue for many people, but it's, Absolutely. It's, it's, again, it's nothing new. It's not unusual. It's been going on for generations. Absolutely. And he's not the first Black coach to have a white wife and family. I mean, I look at... He's not the first athlete as person in sports. I look at Serena Williams. She's black. She's got a white husband and a multiracial child. Uh, I, I don't I don't see her struggling with, you know, the, the 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 way the onslaught that has come upon her, you know, being a black woman and being excellent at what she does. Right. I mean, it's like, well, I mean, you know, this is not new things. Keep in mind, Will, I mean, we don't we don't see it on television. It's not publicized as much as the Serena Williams uh, uh, marriage. Uh, but 
a lot of African-American athletes do marry uh, non-black women. They marry white women that they meet right. in, in college. That's why you get a lot of the athletes who are now that we call a light complexion, you know, the mm-hmm. Clay Thompsons of the world and people like that who are actually uh, in sports now. I mean, right. so again, this is not an issue uh, thing in, within the African-American circle or the like. But I do believe, as you stated, there is a lot of weight on our shoulders to make our environments feel comfortable you know, with us. And, and in doing that, you and I have been in situations where we're the only African-Americans in the world. And when we talk about this, I'm, we're talking about it from an aspect of a lot of people that listen to us, a lot of people that we are friends with, are professionals. You're, a lot of times you're the only Black in the world. A lot yeah, of times yeah. we've gotten our advanced degrees. Absolutely. HBCU graduates, but in getting our advanced degrees, at least one of them, we've been the only Black in the world. In serving on committees and commissions, uh, you've been and I've been the only Black in the world. Uh, when serving on boards and boards have started to open up, we've been the only Black in the world. Uh, when certain co- task forces are created, especially on racial equity, uh, within uh, white established organizations, you're, we're the only blacks in the room. Only blacks in the room. Right. So there is an expectation that you have to represent in a certain way so that you ensure that you're not the last African-American or black in the world. In addition to that, Will, there is a pressure that's there to where outside of ensuring that you say the right thing and not the wrong thing, but also that you don't alienate the people that actually invited you to come into the world. Because again, you want your opinion to be taken uh, seriously. You want to leave your mark, even if it's only one mark. Uh, and also you want to ensure that that door stays open. So I think as African-Americans, we understand this, this pressure, but I don't think a lot in white America really understands uh, the pressure that a lot of us are under. And we really can't understand it. I know you know, we talk about when we talk about basketball, when we talk about sports, when we talk about uh, business and being CEOs, when we talk about being the first African-American doctor in a facility or hospital, the first African-American attorney, first right. African-American judge and things of that nature. You know, there is an unspoken rule that exists that you cannot mess up. I remember um, I when I was going through one of the uh, uh, mentor programs for higher education and so forth, and being an executive and, and possibly a president. Um, one of the presidents from the university, who was the first African-American president of a major state institution right. uh, in the Midwest, he stated after he got into office, he and his chief of staff, he took him into a room, closed the door, and he looked in his eyes, he said, you got to be perfect. And his chief of staff understood because he was a black male, understood exactly what the black male president was saying. Said, we got to be perfect. We got to get it right. And they opened the door and went out and performed, you know, uh, their, their, their duty. And, Will, that's the pressure that we're under when we're in well, those situations. We got to yeah, be right. Yeah, and I, and I mean, and I certainly, because you're absolutely right. I mean, as a journalist, 15-plus year career, many papers, Arizona Republic, Virginian Pilot, uh, Tribune Company, uh, many of those situations, I was the only black person in the room. I was the first black Metro columnist at the Hampton Roads Daily Press, there where you are right now, a paper that was founded in the 1800s and clearly had a reputation of being a racist paper when you look at the, uh, the view of the black community 
been happening when you talk to the old timers. So when I came there, I very much had a sense of the weight and the responsibility to my community. And like you said, to be perfect and to get it and to get it right. But when you have an understanding of our history and how people have come before us and have uh, borne that weight and carried that torch, you, at least for me, develop a sense of confidence and a sense of responsibility and sense of inspiration that if they were able to do it under the kinds of circumstances that they found themselves in, then I'm built for this and I should be able to do this. And I think that the way that you navigate being in the room, the only one in the room in those kinds of situations is that you got to focus on everybody's common humanity. Yes, I want to be perfect, but at the same time, I know that I'm not perfect. I'm a human. I'm not perfect. And you got to focus on everybody's common humanity and in respect everybody's common humanity in there. And to not be so overly conscious about the fact that you're black as if to be black means less than. That's one of the things that really bothers me about a lot of our people and professionals who find themselves in this position is that they are operating in the mindset that somehow, somewhere, maybe they are less than. When I've find myself in each position. It's like, no, I'm not less than. I'm built for this to sit, for this situation. I'm merely the person, I'm merely the first black one because I was the first black one that was given the opportunity. I'm right. not the first black one who was capable of doing this. And that's key. That's, that's, that's key. the other, that's the other um flip side of that comment of being the first black. It's as if you're the first black one that reached the level of uh, white acceptability that you could do this. No, being the first at this day and age in many ways is also an indictment on the society, indictment on us as a country. It's an indictment of your company that it took this long because clearly there weren't, uh, there were people who became before me, became before Hubert Davis who were capable of being the head coach. So in Hubert Davis's case, it's, it's really the tenure, the long tenure of the coaches that were before him that makes for a good reason for why he ends up being the first. And for me, that was one of the easy reasons that he could have easy, easily given as an answer is to say, hey, you know, it's significant that I'm the first and I, I recognize that and I respect that. But clearly there were others who came before me through the North Carolina system, all of the great players and coaches that, that oh, black that came before me that could have easily been in this slot. But let's also remember that North Carolina, its coaches have had long tenures. I mean, it was 15 years for the current, the, the coach who's retiring. And prior to him, you know, you had Dean Smith, who seemed like he was there forever. So he, that was a simple answer, but I reckon, you know, but you, but you know, I recognize the question. I recognize the significance of it and I'm proud to be in this moment. That's it. Where, where does, where does this talk about your family and your white wife come from other than being somehow conscious about race, you know, in that way yourself. Yeah. And again, I, I think there's another aspect to this, you know, where you mentioned the first of all, I think it was great that you mentioned that. Uh, us being the first, who, whomever we are, you, I, uh, Hubert Davis, others, in jumping those positions, it's not that we were the most qualified ever, but we were the first individuals 
who are qualified to get an opportunity. There were many, many of us that came before. That were, that were provided that opportunity to come into the slot because they That's clearly other people were bypassed. That should have been provided. Right. They, yeah, should have been, they have been bypassed. That's part of why we're the, you're still seeing first happening now because previously a lot of people were bypassed and not even Absolutely. given an opportunity. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, if you watch, uh, go back and take a look at a story about HBCUs and also in sports, it talks about the great coach. Uh, out of North Carolina, you know, who actually wrote the book on the fast break that beat uh, from NCCU that actually beat Duke, mm-hmm. you know, and how they demean his style of basketball called it monkey ball, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, he was also the first black coach uh, to, I mean, I think he won like nine championships out of 11 years uh, in the NAIA. And uh, also from there, he's the first black, black coach at Cleveland State and just a phenomenal, phenomenal individual that, Ideally, should have been. Who is the coach? Who who was who he? McClendon, out of uh, North Carolina. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, it's a phenomenal story um, that you can go back take take a look at, and uh, that shows that he was, you know, John McClendon. You know, he was should have been the first, and really was one of the greatest basketball coaches ever. And after he died. He was the last living linkage to John Naismith, who actually helped to create the game of um, mm-hmm. basketball. You know, so, you know, with that, we also look at how not just being the first in the room, your qualifications are challenged and you find yourself having to watch your speech in the way that you don't offend and mm-hmm. make everyone feel comfortable to keep that door open and to keep access to opportunity. But we also find where your blackness is challenged. Mm-hmm. So you want you're black, but you don't want to be too black. But then when you're not too black, your blackness is challenged. Is you know, and we saw this play out in a uh, uh, back and forth this with, week. Yeah. You know, with Geraldo Rivera, uh, with uh, Leo Terrell, who's a civil rights attorney and activist for about uh, thirty years plus. You know, and there was a situation where we talked about. Uh, they were talking about St. Louis, uh, the, the new mayor who's an HBCU graduate out of Hampton, who's uh, the first African-American female mayor of St. Louis. And Geraldo Rivera actually asked Leo Terra, you know, when was the last time you've been to the ghetto? Because the question was, uh, can a black person, is, is a black person the best person to lead a majority, quote unquote, minority city? Or yeah, she was she was arguing that because she's black, that best positions right. are and having a, a white mayor would be less able to lead a majority city, of which um, you know, Leo objected to that. He said, you know, that's ludicrous. You know, right, you, should, right. you know, yeah. And 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 the the take on that was is Gerardo Rivera was asking, Well, when was the last time you've been to the guy? In other words, he was challenging his blackness to speak to that black issue. You know, right, as if as if ghetto equals black. black. So so, and that's the thing. Like you said, is just so ludicrous and offensive about it is because it again puts in a box what is blackness. Black. As if exactly. being black does not cover a gamut of experiences, socioeconomic lifestyles in America. Now here I am. I'm telling you, someone who was raised in the ghetto, in public housing in Brooklyn, New York. And I know that that does not encompass all of what 
blackness is about. Absolutely. And here we are, here we are in 2021. 21. We've, been, we've been through the Cosby show, which regardless of what you think about Bill Cosby at this point, the Cosby show showed you blackness that had very little to do with living in low income, quote unquote, ghetto life. So you telling me that if you grew up in that way, it is a middle class, solidly middle class, father's a, a doctor, mother's a lawyer, that that's not a black experience. That's absolutely the way that my children were raised. They were raised in, in a middle class environment. And I can tell you, I bash them in black culture and a pride and an understanding of themselves. So, again, here is someone else outside of the community bringing you know, white European standards into what it means to be black. And then has the audacity to tell a black person, hey, you don't, you know, you don't meet these standards. Who are you to talk on this topic? And you don't meet these standards. And Geraldo should know better. Geraldo is somebody who has a background of in journalism, who is who has covered the Latino community, which has all this variety, including blackness. In the Latino community, which you, you know the the audience is looking at one right now, mm -hmm. I'm half a Latino. My mother is Dominican Republic, mm -hmm. and he should know better. He knows about the different socioeconomics, but it just shows how people can lose their way yeah. and get caught into these little narrow boxes about what blackness is and what blackness is. Absolutely, and we also see it from the business side. Let's go back to sports. You know, where you're seen in sports as being a producer, but you're not seen in sports as being the thinker. You know, mm -hmm. John Thompson was uh, the great, late, great John Thompson. You know, he told Patrick Ewan, he said, you know, big guys, big centers can be the thinkers too, which mm -hmm. he talks about, which helped to propel him into coaching, which finally he got a shot at Georgia. Right. Now, Patrick Ewan yeah. is, is sitting in the seat of his mentor as a coach of Georgia. And look what he was able to do in turning around a program midstream, you know, mm -hmm. and win, win the Big East, get to the tournament. I mean, absolute phenomenal. I've been watching his career when he was with the Charlotte uh, Hornets. Of course, Michael Jordan changed the dynamics of ownership in mm -hmm. the NBA and just not being a producer and everyone making money off of him. But he actually said, I'm going to own a team, which helped others like LeBron James. You know, so and then I've I've been able to meet some of the uh, top guys that Jordan has around uh, him and uh, attend some of those games and really see how that organization runs and how African-American leadership is promoted. Now, other organizations are starting to promote. Some have been very good at that. We take a look in the 60s and the 70s, uh, how the Boston Celtics of all of all uh, cities and of all teams actually promoted African-American coaches with Casey Jones, uh, the great Casey Jones. Actually, first starting with Bill Russell. Bill Russell was a player coach. Player coach, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> so Hubie, there's nothing, this is nothing new. This is not a this is not a new thing. So yeah. I mean, I think what I think what you said about Geraldo was just pivotal. It really again gets to what I mentioned earlier about this white gaze, this this standard upon which you are supposed to even judge yourself and what it means as a black person in this society, you know, and how dare, how dare someone outside of your community, outside of your life experience, tell you who you are. I mean, that's the, that's the absurdity of it. And I think again, that 
Black people know that Blackness runs a broad gamut of socioeconomics, of ethnic groups, ethnic differences. So you can't just allow someone to just box you into what it means to be, you know, to be Black. And I think that that's the challenge when you're successful. If you come into it with this mindset that, oh, man, I must contort myself to fit someone else's box, someone else's judgment, you're just setting yourself up for failure rather than success. You're setting yourself up for failure. The best way to be successful is to be true to yourself. Absolutely. And to recognize, yes, you're going to have to code switch because not every environment, the language, the tone, the mannerisms is needed for each environment. You have to adapt to who you're talking to. If Hubert Davis is going into an inner city to recruit a kid, an inner city or down in rural Louisiana, he's going to be able to, he's, he needs to learn the mannerisms and some of the la- the language and more to make, to relate to him. But I he mean, should Will, be able, he should be able Will, to contorting himself and coming a whole different person. But Will, even the most successful uh, non-black coaches, white coaches have done that for years. I mean, look at I mean, look at what Nick Saban has done. I mean, he's able to uh, draft at a high level every single year. Look what Lou Holtz was able to do at Notre Dame. Um, look what uh, the coach at John Wooden was able to do at UCLA. I mean, so you're Jimmy Johnson and many, many others when he came to the University of Miami, which was just his little private school in Miami. But then he started to recruit African-American players from where none of the people at University of Miami had ever gone. You know, to recruit students for school. down the road, down the road, didn't even they didn't want to go down the exactly. road to recruit, right? Exactly, but but again, they changed the dynamics of it. And today, I mean, it's put it on the map and it's known as the U. You know, and it's something that they hold. Uh, I mean, they dominate it and something that they hold with pride. So, to your point, yes, we do have to code switch. The most successful people do, but the key to success is being authentically you, being true to yourself. Because what the world needs more is persons who are honest with themselves to not only recognize their strengths, but more importantly, recognize their weaknesses and also respect and honor everybody else. You don't have to agree. We right. can disagree. And I think that's one of the one of the we're going away from that with council culture, where if you don't agree with me, then I'm going to counsel you right. or, or, or the extreme side. If you're not my ally, then you're my enemy. And, and, and again, we should not be that way at all in society. We can agree to disagree and we can live in a harmonious country, a harmonious community. We just, because we, we all want to get to the same point in life. We're just taking different roads to get there. So as we move forward and as we deal with this issue of, of being successful while Black, and again, this is, We've looked at it through sports and we looked at it through uh, the, the, the eyeballs of politics. But we're going to look at this issue uh, over and over again from other aspects. What should we do as African-Americans when we, uh, con- as we continue to be successful and climb up that ladder of upper mobility? Will? I think what you said about being authentic and true to yourself is exactly the beginning point. No one can be you better than Absolutely. you. And if you ascended to this spot, clearly you being something about who you are was good enough to get you there. Now, we do know that people ascend up to spots by contorting themselves and doing head fakes and smoking mirrors, too. But if you do it that way, eventually you're going to get found out. Eventually. 
And it's not going to it's not going to be a good look at all. But if you do it in a way that is authentic to who you are, like you said, when you're respectful to the other people in the room and where they come from, their cultural context, their socioeconomics, when you're respectful, what begins to happen is people begin to tune into your common humanity that you all share. And they begin to learn from you and respect where you're coming from. Now, along the way, there are going to be some folk that are just never going to accept who you are in the room. As a person of faith, that's where I leave those folk to God. That's a battle for God to fight, you know, and for God to protect me in that situation. But I think what you said about being authentically who you are, respecting other people, focusing on the job at hand and being excellent, because you should want to be excellent anyway, regardless of whether we must be perfect or we're not going to survive. No, everybody's objective should be to be excellent in whatever it is they're doing. And whether you get cut or not, at the end of the day, if you can look at yourself in the mirror and know, hey, I did my best in the areas where I fell, I tried to learn from, I tried to correct, I tried to respect people, I tried to be true to the job at hand, that's all you can really ask for yourself. That's all you can really ask because there are going to be haters out there. There are going to be people who are going to look to chop your legs off from under you. And I can tell folk, for young folks, guess what? Oftentimes, they're not all white. Oftentimes, they'll be your own black folk. But that's, an, but that's another show for another time. That's another show. <laughs> I got a whole lot of material on that, so... I hear you. I hear you. And look, that's the great thing about our conversations, Will, is that we're able to address these issues from a real life experience and a timely uh, standpoint to where, again, what we want to be is successful and authentic in everything that we do. Once again, we want to thank you guys for tuning in to LaVisa and Cuville. We'll be talking about this subject uh, for many, many days to come. So if you like us, go to our social media on Facebook, like, share and follow also on our other social media as well. And tune in next time, because to us, that's the way it is.